What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark Stay. And a big thank you, as always, to the people who keep this show on the road, which is our patrons over on Patreon and our academics on the Bestseller Academy. If you want to find out more about the Academy, you get me and Mr. D as your personal tutors. You get a fantastic writing community. There are courses. It's And we've got some amazing stories coming up from people who've done amazing things in the Academy coming very soon. Go to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com link in the show notes to check that out and if you want to uh, check out patreon loads of deep dives over 120 deep dives we've got some really cool stuff out there at the moment uh do go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and we have some new patrons this week mr d we and do we've we got quite a crowd so everyone budge up at the back of the bus and make room please for aggie for margie or oh, could be margie uh, Paul Clark and Toby Easton O'Connor, you're all wonderful people. Thank you so much for your support. We simply could not keep this podcast going without it. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Mr. D, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. It's good to be back, Mr. Stay. And good I also want to say a big thank you. I know you do as well to Queeve and Julian for filling yes. in at such yeah. short notice. Um, amazing. Absolute, absolute brilliant podcast. And yes, I did. I had to. I had to dive off. Uh, very very short notice because unfortunately my dad became very ill and he did pass away so i had a a bit of a um a challenging couple of weeks um but you know what it's it's really interesting because it's been a couple of things um fascinating really when you kind of like tie in with writing i was going through um a lot of paperwork for my dad and he wrote a lot of stuff he started right. writing his life story and really? it, yeah and, and at times like this i mean anyone who's lost a parent um or let's say lost anyone dear to them when they find anything written you know after they've left us it's such a treasure it's like their voice is there and um for my dad as well like he the sad the sad thing about my my dad's journey is that he had uh you know quite late stage dementia um last couple of years and so that beautiful voice that he had was kind of trapped inside him but to to be able to pull out these words that he had written and he was such a good writer um it's so incredible because it brings that person back to life literally yeah. like when you know when you're sitting with them and they can't communicate with you so it's really made me reflect deeply and uh, i'm here i'm showing up here today to remind everyone like what you're writing today what you write tomorrow next week um lives forever and it's treasured by by everyone who loves you and loves you will love you and who will get to know you and you know as, as you as you grow as a writer and remembering that one thing alone i think can destroy all of the self-doubt, all of the challenges, all the strikes, just like, just get the words down. You know, they, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, you know, if they're, if they're perfect or not to, to have the gift of being able to read the words of, of somebody. Um, so yeah, I miss him dearly. And actually this made me reflect as well. COVID, like I thought about all those poor people who, who yeah. lost, lost, you know, parents or partners or uncles, aunties, brothers, sisters during COVID and couldn't actually even be with them or even have a funeral um and so in a weird way i'm just so immensely grateful that we got to do that for dad again you you can always find a reason to be grateful for everything my heart goes out to anyone who's who's uh who's going through a similar thing right now but um you've got to look at these things and realize just the parting gift of everyone that leaves us is to re a reminder to get on with our lives to live our lives to make the most yeah. of every moment and 
We just have to embody that. You are so super positive. I'd be a gibbering wreck at this moment, but... Um, well, yeah, you did, the other thing I will say, though, is my dad was very philosophical about life, and, and that makes this whole journey a lot easier. You know, he had an amazing life, and he lived a great life, and he achieved a lot. PH, yes. PhD physicist, he wrote a yeah. ton of, ton <laughs> of like... Um, research papers which are all on google people go read if you're interested if you're interested in ecology population sustainability environment that was his that was his jam so he's written a ton of stuff in there important stuff as well important stuff yeah top level stuff stuff. and he got he got a couple of lifetime achievement awards from some major organizations so you know he's a lot of his work is gonna is gonna be contributing to the future future generations so that's that's heartbreaking as well but but anyway, after all that, how are you doing? You've had a you've had a couple of weeks. I'm okay. Yeah, it's it's been like I said. We'll talk about it more in the extended version. It's it's uh, it's it's a roller coaster. But I've, I'm I'm slightly knackered because I was out on the razzle last night with Queen McDonald and Ben Aronovich. We we did oh, an event right. at the uh, yeah at Wardstones in Trafalgar uh, Trafalgar wow. Square, and it was Doesn't it was terrific. It really was great. It was uh, completely sold out. Great crowd, great questions. And Queeve said to me, oh, do you want to come in and chair the conversation? And frankly, it was like, I, you know, at the fireworks where you light one firework and you step back and just let it go off. That's what, <laughs> that was my job. My job was not to get in the way of these two. And they were so much fun. They were really funny. Um, you know, they're terrific uh, writers and, and uh, raconteurs and the crowd just loved it and um, there was a really good signing afterwards so it was a really really fun evening and we all went to the um uh, it wasn't planned but we put around to the sherlock holmes pub afterwards and oh, had a very very Is that good chat. in baker street by any chance no it's not it's a really oh. touristy pub in northumberland avenue oh. <laughs> which i'd never been in before but it was just around the corner from the bookshop um so yeah that was that was good fun as well yeah really, oh, really good that's fun. great i just envisage you a bit like one of those um referees in in a world championship <laughs> boxing match and you're like exactly. getting in between them it's like little mark stay in the middle clean fight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the comic comedy version of that with knowing ben and queeve right i'm like i can't imagine what that would have been like the two of them was, riffing off each other with you in the middle like brilliant. i just basically felt like i had a front row seat i was sitting between yeah. them with a big silly grin on my face you know and occasionally just you know trying to keep them on track but um it's the yeah, only it way great. to get a ticket it's the only way to guarantee a ticket is to actually <laughs> exactly. come compare the event right love it it was it was really good and then really, really Trafalgar good. Square um I must admit going back to London having lived on a little old island for for nearly 10 years now in in, in you know Canada the energy in London's bonkers like, I I forgot just how how amazing it is like I love abso- it it is it's yeah, like you I go like, in yeah. and it's just like walking into Leicester Square like, it's just like whoa this is insane like there's yeah. just so much life and color and noise and excitement yeah. oh yeah. brilliant ah brilliant stuff well listen we've got so much to talk about because not only has there been a lot going on with movies and you know passings of parents and all these things but that we've also got this absolute headliner interview today which i'm so glad to be back for mark so tell us tell us about our amazing guest today well, where do you start? It's Richard Armitage, you know, uh, the actor. Uh, he's amazing. He's been in shows like Spooks and Strike Back and North and South. I know him as Thorin Oakenshield in uh, The Hobbit, which, uh, you know, he is fantastic in it, absolutely brilliant at it. But also, he's a very, very prolific audiobook narrator. He's got this incredible baritone voice, which is lovely. And so what he's done now, he's uh, done an uh, an audio original for Audible, uh, a thriller called Geneva. And it's this fast-paced psychological thriller. It's about a scientist. Uh, they go to Switzerland for a, a conference, and then it, they become in, entangled in this conspiracy. It's terrific stuff. It's really, really good. And it was a great opportunity to talk to an actor as well, not only about audio book narration, but about their approach to character, uh, which I found Absolutely fascinating. And I think it's one of these things we, we've often said to writers, if you've got no acting experience, take some writing, take some acting classes, you know, try and do it because there's so much that I carry over from my acting experience into, into writing and, and Richard has done the same. So we discuss resisting the temptation to explain, character studies 
and not tying up loose ends and much, 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 much more. Oh, so much in this interview, folks. It's an absolute brilliant one. Uh, so let's sit back and enjoy Mark chatting with the absolutely wonderful uh, Richard Armitage. Richard Armitage, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm really good. Thank you for asking. Ah, absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. Geneva, Geneva. I've been through it very briefly once on, on the way to somewhere else. Tell us about Geneva. Um, it was um, a bit of an experiment, actually, on on everybody's part. I I, uh, I was asked to to write something by Audible, and um, I I kind of immediately said yes, and then <laughs> uh, did that thing that actors tend to do, which is like, oh, now I've got to do the work. But I but I did have a story <laughs> in my head that was brewing, and um, I set it in Geneva because I wanted it to be the center of, uh, kind of scientific excellence. But I was, I was sniffing around, um, Sarah Gilbert, who'd, who'd kind of was heading up the vaccine program mm -hmm. in the UK, the AstraZeneca. And I just became fascinated with her. And I thought, what if I take a character like her, just the sort of, um, skeleton of a character and throw her into a, a crime thriller, because that was the brief. So, right. so yeah, I mean, it, Geneva is, um, it's a crime thriller about uh, a, a Nobel Prize-winning scientist who is taken to Geneva to a conference to to sort of front up a brand new uh, treatment for um, dementia. And during the course of that four-day trip, uh, she strange things start to happen to her um, in her in her own mind because she um, has a diagnosis of early onset. Alzheimer's. So it's uh, it's a bit of science. It's a bit of science fiction. It's a bit of crime and uh, all those good things that that we like to to read about. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Now you mentioned your your protagonist Sarah Collier is is based partly on Sarah Sarah Gilbert. Yeah. Now the audiobook, you're narrating the audiobook alongside Nicola Walker, who you've worked with before, most notably yes. on on Spooks. When you were writing, was it were you thinking, oh, this could be good for Nicola, or were you thinking? Did Nicola come later in in the process? It, she she came later in the process. I wasn't really writing. Actually, I was sort of writing as if I was listening to Sarah Gilbert. It was she was such an, right. a good inspiration. I mean, I hope she's not offended because it, it's really the character's life is nothing like hers at, mm. at all. I, I mean, I suppose I've taken her scientific expertise as a sort of just a foundation stone. But no, I, I had an, uh, all kinds of people in my head as I was writing and then Nicola's name was being talked about more and more towards the end of the process and I got very excited because I know what Nicola is like as an actor mm -hmm. so I did start to hear her voice in my head and it was really interesting writing for um audible and audio first because it, it's it's going to be heard before it's going to be seen by mm -hmm. with the eye um we don't even know if that's going to happen yet but um it was a very different um process so i was speaking everything out loud and and making sure all the words sounded right but i knew that nicola's voice would be just so perfect for this character and she really didn't disappoint i was so impressed with what she did in the in the recording excellent stuff let's go back and talk about the how how audible came to you with this because you're already a very prolific audiobook narrator you've uh, narrated the likes of cj tudor joy ellis philippa gregory and friend of the podcast lj ross you did her book bedlam which uh, is fantastic so audible came to you they already knew that people liked your voice uh but they came to you with a brief can you talk about that that brief and what they came to you with yeah, I mean, I think it's really it is really interesting because they obviously have a lot of data about who's listening and what kind of things they're listening mm -hmm. to, what kind of um, books, you know, my voice was was leaning into, and crime thriller seemed to be this kind of cocktail that everybody quite liked. Not just from what I was reading for Audible, but the types of shows that I was involved in as an actor. So a lot of the Harlan Coben work and even going right back to things like Spooks. Uh, it sort of felt like when they asked, I did kind of think, yeah, they really, they've really got their finger on the pulse of, of what my vibe is. Um, but it was a, you know, it wasn't um, a, a, a direct offer. They basically said, how would you feel about it? Can we, you know, and I, you know, would you like a ghostwriter? 
Um, and I sort of said, well, no, if I'm going to write it, I really am going to write it because mm. I'm going to speak these words and I couldn't live with myself if I was speaking someone else's words, pretending I'd written it. Yeah. Um, I'm not at that stage yet, but, but I, again, so I, so I, there was a process of really having to prove myself to them, um, before we actually went down the road. But, um, I'd written a lot in the past. I'd written not for publication, but for, for myself. Uh, so I knew that I, I had a, a kind of voice, um, but, it, but whether it was going to be, you know, what they had in mind as well was, was part of the, of the navigation. But once we got on the, on the right track and we were all on it together, it was a breeze to do and really fulfilling for me. Did you have to sort of do a one-page pitch for them? Did you have to put anything together or was it just a conversation that you were having with them? I think it started as a conversation. Then I submitted, I think it was like a 5,000-word... Actually, it was a treatment, first of all, and then a 5,000-word writing right. sample. So just to sort of see, you know, what kind of... You know, how does he structure his sentences? You know, is this going to be... Uh, just what's it going to sound like? What's you know? What's the feel of it? Um, and I d I did recognize like I I went back to that writing sample uh, when I'd finished the book just to see you know what what was I like when I st kicked off and and really and this comes back to to who I am as a person where I come from my background my education I th I feel like I was slightly overcooking I was adding loads of ingredients because I wanted to prove myself as, as some kind of intellectual, but realizing along the way that, that really it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't about that. It was about just really good storytelling in the mm. way that I would want to tell a story, because that's literally what's going to be happening. It's going to be me sitting in front of a micro microphone, reading, reading the story. Uh, but, it, but I discovered what my tastes were along the way, which was really interesting. Excellent. What in particular did you, what stood out for you? Just things like sentence structure, the sounds of words, the rhythm. And, you know, and I, um, I was originally a musician. I, I played flute and cello and uh, I come from a dance background. And, and so song was in song and dance background. Actually, I was a musical theatre actor before mm. I was, went to drama school. So all of those little things that I'd sort of written off years ago started to come back into my life because I... I do have a, a certain taste uh, in the, the way words sound, and and the you know it's it's it's, it's quite hard to describe. I, t I worked once with um, a playwright, Mike Bartlett, who was a drummer, and his work is so synonymous with the rhythm of of drumming. Uh, and I I kept thinking about him as I was writing that that you know when when a story starts to escalate as you're telling it and you need this, like your words just get shorter and more staccato as you're, mm. you know, if, and, and actually if you, if you overwrite something when the action needs to compress and get faster, it's very difficult to perform. So I was, I was sort of almost DJing my own writing as I was working. <laughs> That's brilliant. And in all the years of, of narrating audiobooks, is there anything that, and you don't have to name names or anything like that, but is there anything you see authors doing that you think, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that, or this is really difficult to say or pronounce? Is there is there anything, any commonalities you see with authors that you, that you, you took a lesson and thought, I'm not going to do that in my book? Yes, 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 absolutely. And I, you know, I, I do, it's one of the joys of my life is that I get to read such a kind of broad spectrum of of literature so from dickens to i mean i read marcus aurelius this year i did grapes of wrath and then i'm reading you know joy ellis and, and like you say lj ross and cj tudor uh, so i you know i've i've got myself in knots agatha christie was one of them um there was a book i read i can talk about her because she's she's dead so she might be offended but there was a, i remember reading a, a poirot and uh she, she I, I was so excited to read it and she'd said it in france i think it was um murder on the links and i i started to read it and realized she'd written so many characters and they were all french and i only had one french accent i was like how on earth am i going to distinguish between all these people so i was very careful to make sure that each character was was very definable, but without really describing them in too much detail. I want to give the audience a picture of who they were, but not too specific so that the reader would be hemmed in. Mm. And also, I think, you know, one of the things, particularly in crime fiction or very plot-heavy work, is that, and I took this advice, I think it was from Margaret Atwood in one of her masterclasses, is that 
tying up all of the loose ends, while it can make sense, it's not always that satisfying. And sometimes it's okay to leave things unexplained. And the more you try to explain it to make it make sense, the more the more tangled you become. And sometimes it's like, let's just remove all of this information that I'm I'm giving you to try and explain why this has happened and just leave it hanging so that we, we don't necessarily need to show that. So so my myself and my editor would and I have this in, in acting as well, is that we had this thing of no, don't show. So to just know something, but not yeah. to show it or to over explain it. And because I do have a tendency to want to sort of prove myself by saying this does make sense. Look, th- this whole sequence makes sense. And I'll, t- I'll show you how it makes sense by showing you every doorway and every pathway. But mm. it can it can really weigh it down. And, and uh, obviously, obviously, the thing, you know, parts of the story really do need to make sense, which is why I took a trip to Geneva. Yes, I'd like to talk about that in a minute. But I, <laughs> just to go back on your work as an actor, as I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I've I've heard that you, when you take on a role, you will do extensive biographies for your characters. You'll you look into all kinds of, of backstory. Is that something that you carried over into Geneva? Was there a, was your writing an extension of that process? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's when I knew that I had the um, the ability and propensity to write because when I, you know, when I develop a character, one of the things that I really like to do, you know, for acting is, uh, is I take control of the character in its early stages by, like you say, writing a a biography. And I've done it uh, since I was at drama school. Um, And that involves a certain amount of free flow. And I really enjoy that moment where you just start writing and you don't really plan what you're going to write. It just sort of comes out of that part of your brain which you're not in control of so mm-hmm. when you write is quite interesting as well so first thing in the morning or last thing at night as your brain is more relaxed and less infected by the day all kinds of things can come through which um don't, aren't necessarily integral to to what you're writing and you most of the time when you write biography no one's ever going to read this i've got books and books yeah. and books of stuff that no one's ever going to read and things would come out that i just think that's not important to the character but it's really interesting where that came from because i don't i was kind of pulling up memories that uh that i'd forgotten about and also things that i a little bit like deja vu things would come out that you think i've never experienced that but it's coming out of some kind of truth that's and again i would write with a pen and paper not not on a computer screen so that hand eye thing whatever it is they call Mm. it where you connect to your brain and i i really love doing that i didn't do it for this but but the process of creating a biography for the characters was was i did do that i did i did write extensive biographies for the two lead characters because i knew that as i was writing in a more economic way all these threads that led back to a to a very rich garden you know that it's like planting a garden you put down so many seeds and then you might draw on them later down the line or you you might not but it's it was very satisfying to do that Wonderful. And what do these biographies look like? I, I know you say they're not for no one's no one else is going to read them except you. But is it uh, just you know thoughts going onto the page, or is it more specific things like height and eye color and where they were born and things like that, or is it a combination of the two? It, I mean, it, what it, what it actually looks like is a legible scroll. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I sort of have a, a, um, a first. I have a checklist. Which is which goes right back to some work I did at drama school, which is almost it's three pieces of paper of a checklist of of things that you just almost like a little quiz about your character, and you do I do that first, which is sort of like where are they from, where were they educated, what are their politics, what's their who are their inspirations, what books do they read, what music do they listen to, what's their favorite food, all of this stuff that you just fill it in before you've even started knowing who they are. Um, so you do that bit, and then I I think a, a character, um, and I I I say this because you, you know when you create character for screen, you use bits of yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's always about programming just enough memory and enough experiences so that it feels like a whole life. Obviously, you mm-hmm. can't go and write an entire life because it would be you know in my case, <laughs> fifty one <laughs> years of information, but. <laughs> significant moments in that person's life which may have triggered where they are in their life right now i just try to plot those things in like 
uh, where do, you know if, with this book with Geneva, you know how these two are a couple and how their their marriage is being strained. I just thought, okay, it's important to know how did they meet, where did they meet, what what was what were they like when they met as younger people, mm-hmm. and what's changed in their lives. You know, when did when did their daughter arrive? Where where is she from? Where is he from? All of these things that you just and you can expand on that. And it, uh, that's I mean, it's really satisfying to do that. And you can change mm. it, of course. You can go, you can retrofit it. So yeah. if it doesn't work. Uh, you know, further down the line, I'll just go back and change the biography because it's my world I'm building, you know? Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Now, you mentioned research there. You mentioned going to uh, Geneva. I mean, you famously, you went, underwent waterboarding for spooks. You know, you, you, <laughs> will, you will do this kind of research, physical stuff. Was there anything else that you did for Geneva apart from going to Geneva? Um I was well again I was pulling on some memories of of researching a role that I'd played in a play at the Birmingham Rep back in the late 90s called The Four Alice Bakers and part of that it was about genetic cloning and part of that research took me to Cambridge University and I I sort of walked into a building and grabbed a white coat off a hook and just found myself in a lab and and in my head, I broke into the lab and, and did my research that way. But it was just, there was no man on the door. There was, and I just sort of stood around watching people with pipettes and things and, <laughs> and no one, no one looked up. But I, so that experience of being in a laboratory, um, triggered some things, uh, f- for the, for the show, uh, for the, for the, for the book. But again, it's, it's a combination of re- of fact and fiction. So my, my fictional mind, can do whatever it wants but it but it goes you find the blood vessels that lead back to a factual event um so um the neural implant i think i think is actually in production right now i think it's in development should i say with right. uh, the world's richest man right. <laughs> so that was one of the inspirations <laughs> for that but um but yeah there's all kinds of things and and also you know i traveled to the mountains a lot so i love the uh, the idea of setting the story at altitude and and i'm fascinated with architecture so i pulled up loads of images of what the schiller institute would look like so i mm-hmm. basically designed the building uh in my head and then i went i went and found you know picked photographs of what the building would look like so that when i came to write about it i could actually describe what the facets of glass were like and things like that um, it, it's so enjoyable to do that work. Absolutely. Um, at what part of the process were you doing that? Was that before you were writing, during, or after, or a combination? I, I intended to do it halfway through because I was going to try and squeeze in a cheeky ski trip, <laughs> but I <laughs> but I got caught up on another job, so I actually had to do it right at the end. But I'd left little holding points in the in the book where I knew I would go back and fill it with detail, mm-hmm. the kind of things that. You can Google it or you can go to Google Earth. You can look at Google Maps, but somebody walking past you on the street that happens to be wearing a red coat or something, those things you can't really plan or how the wind is on a certain day and um, what the what the parks looked like and what kind of trees were in the park. I just felt like I wanted to go and really see that for myself. I wanted to make sure all of the geography was correct so that the journeys took the right amount of time Uh because those things really annoy me when I see them on TV that, that <laughs> you know, you, you, you can travel between, you know, Manchester and Liverpool in, in you know, 20 minutes. Yeah, all those things that, that, that trouble me. So I wanted to make sure it sort of worked. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was, yeah, towards the end, I would say. My favourite one of those is in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where they land in Dover and he says, we'll be in Nottingham by tonight. And, <laughs> You'll uh, be lucky. <laughs> yeah, couldn't even do that now, mate. <laughs> well, the other, uh, I mean, the, even, uh, you know, we, we actually shot a promo very, very late in the day and that we they found a location for the promo and there was this this sort of suspended glass box, which I hadn't written about, but I just thought it was so brilliant. I've got to put it in the book. So I even went back at very, very late and just a tiny little detail that I'd that I'd shifted because I just thought, oh, it was it was I wanted it all to line up and match. And uh, yeah, so again, it's it's my world. So you can do whatever you want with it if, as long as you hit the deadline. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Now, I read somewhere that you wrote to a kind of a template for Geneva. Is that correct? And, and what can you tell us about that? Um, yes. Yeah, so there were various stages, which I think worked f- for me. I don't know how other writers do it, but I, I created 
the treatment, then I did a writing sample, then I I wrote a, quite a detailed outline of what the story would be. Right. And then we went with my editor, we went much more we went much further and, and create like I worked out what the word count needed to be. So I roughly knew how many chapters I was aiming for and broke it down so that I could write a sh- very short paragraph of what was going to happen in each chapter. So, um, which is a bit like uh, how a, when you do television, uh, because you shoot out of order, mm. um, each scene is described in the call sheet in a certain way. So, you know, the scene will be four pages long, but it will just be described as this happens to this person in this scene. And I, so I would write the things that needed to happen in each chapter because I knew I was going to be working on other things like I was doing a film and, and my brain would be taken away. So I needed right. to go back um, and figure that out, uh, which was really useful so that when I, I could just dip into a chapter and um, figure out, okay, I need I need to get from A to B in this, this chapter and how am I going to do it? And where were you storing that? Are you just doing this in Word? Are you using any particular kind of software? I was using... Uh, I started using Ulysses because I work on a Mac, but then I went to Word, which was much right. more useful because the editor could then, you know, drop in and, and yeah, make her yeah. comments in the margin. You mentioned uh, your editor there. Obviously, this is a whole new process to you, you know, working with an editor and going through that whole process of, of, of getting something published and then recorded. Were there any big surprises? Was there anything that, that you weren't expecting? Um, yeah, I mean, in a way, I think... Uh, Working with an editor is a little bit like working with a director because you are putting yourself on the line and but at the same time you have to be you have to accept another person's v- view another person's vision you have to be able to be molded mm. um, so and i'm I'm pretty good at that I'm very good at yielding um, <laughs> but also you you sometimes have to accept that my taste and their taste are different. Mm. Uh, luckily, I, um, Josephine Lane, who was my editor, we we kind of have very similar taste. She's very experienced, um, and she knew this format, this genre, very very well. Um, this was new to me. I I wasn't conscious too much about you know writing to format because I I feel like it's a bit like. Uh, if you're in a horror movie, you don't know you're in a horror movie. Let, let, yeah. That's the director's business. So I was trying not to write in a thrillery way. Um, but also, there, there, there are quite a lot of personal things in there that the editor doesn't necessarily know are very personal. Mm. Um, but I think that's good. And I think because you have to step back and be um, objective about your own work. So it, the cutting process was quite painful at the beginning, but I but I completely got in line and understood why things needed to, to go and why why things didn't work. Um, but I, you know, at the same time, it was my first piece of writing, so I knew that I had something to prove. So I mm. did dig my heels in about certain things that I was adamant I wanted to remain. But, you know, it's a negotiation, and uh, mm. she was she was brilliant. Um, and I'm sure they were all, you know, everyone at Audible was probably a little bit nervous because, you know, you go very quiet for a while. It took about 12 months to maybe a little bit longer to write. Mm. Um, so that experiment could have been a, an absolute disaster. <laughs> but I'm sure they would have knocked it into shape. But I just wanted to make sure that, first of all, they were my words. Mm. So any suggestions that came through, I would have to sort of re, sort of re you know, massage them into my own yeah. words. Yeah. Um, but that, again, it's a learning process. And uh, I'm just glad that I'm quite a flexible person because it wasn't too painful at all. Yeah, no, it's that. that's exactly what it's all about. You mentioned Harlan Coben earlier, yeah. who knows a thing or two about writing thrillers. <laughs> are, you, are you friendly with Harlan at all? Harlan at all? Did, you, did you go to him for advice? It's really interesting you say that. It was literally the next thing on my mind. Right, because, right. <laughs> um, you know, we were going to work together again next year, and I'd had a, you know, I'd had a meeting with him, and you know, we'd had a cup of tea, and you know, I'd asked him to read the book, but I was very nervous about it because it's, you know, you're stepping into a slightly different lane, and I was stepping a little <laughs> bit into his lane, uh, but I did at the time I was going through quite a chunky edit, which removed was removing quite a lot of the of the work and I said how are you with edits you know how do you 
deal with it and you know what's your process and of course because he's so experienced now he's he did say you know i'm i'm quite lightly edited you know he mm. i think he he knows what uh, he knows his his thing now mm. he knows what his style is so his editing is quite light whereas i th- i think i'd written i was trying to write proust and they were like no 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 you've got to get this into an airport <laughs> thriller so so uh, but i'll know i'll know better for next time you know brilliant i want to go back to something you said earlier on which is that you you had written stuff but you had written it for yourself were yeah. you referring to character bios then or, or were you writing prose before this and um, um, if so what sort of stuff were you writing um no, I haven't written anything that's waiting to be published. All of all of the stuff that I've written was character biography or a, a diary. Um, I've worked on. I've done a few adaptations um, of books that I would be interested in developing for television, mm-hmm. and I've sort of written a first episode to see if it works. Um, but as you know, and I, I'm actually working on a, a book right now. One of um, CJ CJ Tudor's books, The Taking of Annie Thorne. Um, and we are developing that to screenplay, uh, but I'd done a first a first sort of sample of what what my episode one be like. So I'd written it, and obviously, I, you know, I wasn't an established writer then. But maybe I've got a bit more credibility now. So we do have another writer on it. But these things, I don't th- I don't feel like they're a waste of time. It's a bit like you have to exercise the muscles to see whether they work. But but when you then do get into a process uh, with a writer now that I'm I'm working with writers and, and editing and adapting with them and I'm working with a very experienced writer Tim Dynavor and a less experienced writer Zara Symes and and um, it's really useful to be able to understand story structure and dialogue you know it's, because a lot of writers are great at story but when it comes to dialogue they can kind of get a bit stuck right. uh, so. I feel lucky because I've read a lot of books, but I've also read a lot of screenplay and scripts. You know that you 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 know you only get cast in about one percent of everything you read. So I've I've read a huge yes. amount. So you you yeah. get access to a lot of people's voices, and so I think all of these things are becoming quite quite useful. What you mentioned dialogue there, and, and writers can can sort of get unstuck when it comes to to dialogue. Uh, are there any sort of common errors? that you see with dialogue that you wish writers would get better at? Um, you know, I was always, uh, when I was at drama school, I, I kind of got heavily into David Mamet. And I, oh, obviously, me too! <laughs> I mean, True and False is one of those great acting oh, books f- that I just love. Fantastic book, yeah. <laughs> um, but again, David Mamet, I think uh, uh, Bartlett that I talked about is, is sort of in that same Mamet lane. Mm-hmm. But also... Pinter, um, mm. slightly obsessed with Pinter, and he he said something very interesting in a in one of his uh, books about writing or developing is that he was just talking about how people don't really explain who they are as characters. They exhibit characteristics, and other people will describe them, but very rarely does a character tell you who they are in their own dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the time in screenplay as well, sometimes when a writer has struggled to plot the story, they'll put it into the dialogue of, of a character, and you feel like you're having to explain the plot through your dialogue, which is we call it um, expositioning. So, mm-hmm. uh, And you try to strip it out so that it just doesn't feel like you're, you're saying the plot. Um, because, uh, and I think that's an observation that I've had all of my acting life is that most of the time as human beings, the things that come out of our mouths are often concealing what we feel, not explaining how we feel, unless you're in America, because <laughs> they do the opposite. <laughs> they they say everything they feel, but but most of the time we're sort of hiding hiding what we feel or think in 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 the shell of something else. Uh, and Pinter does it brilliantly. I mean, if you if you look at Pinter and his some of his lines are so obscure, and you look at it, and you go, "What does that mean?" And it doesn't mean anything. It's just it's just hiding something else inside. And I I love that kind of thing. I love implication. I love an enigma. Like I love you know an enigmatic line, but it's like, what yeah. what on earth does that mean? Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy that a lot. I was I was lucky enough to see a production of The Caretaker uh, with Donald Pleasance uh, and uh, Colin Firth played Aston, 
and it was oh, just blew my absolutely blew my mind. I was like seventeen years old, and I was like, I wish I could write like that. And I've been trying yes. to do it ever since. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now that you've had a taste, you mentioned you've been you know working on screenplays, but now you've had a taste of writing a novel. Well, first of all, you mentioned you know we don't know if there's going to be a paperback or a physical hardcover or, or whatever edition of it. We don't know that yet. But now you've done this once, do you think there will be more? Do you want to go back and do this again? You know, a bit like reading a book. When a when a book that you've loved comes to an end, you have a slight feeling of grief because mm -hmm. you're not going to be with these people anymore and you've spent so much time and investment with them. And I had that at the end of Geneva. Once the book was recorded and done, um, I just felt like, ah, oh, who am I going to play with now? You know, like my, my friends have gone because, you know, it's so strange, like you, you create a world, you create your characters, you leave them for a while, you go off and do something else, you come back and they've been busy, you know, they've, they're evolving and it's like you give them a life of their own. And so I, I sort of miss the characters and I, I'm desperate to get kind of back into the soup of, of writing again. So my first thing I did is I picked up the phone to, to my literary agent and I said, can I do it again? And he said, mm -hmm. well, you know, let's, let's put out feelers, let's ask around. Um, but of course, I'm I'm impatient, so I, I I had already started writing treatments for a couple of other stories just in case. Um, so yeah, I, I like to have something on the stove simmering um, that I'm slowly adding ingredients to. So yeah, I've got a couple of treatments that are expanding and becoming more detailed, and you know, uh, I would absolutely love to do it again. Brilliant stuff. Well, listeners, Geneva is out there, so I'm exclusive to Audible at the moment. So uh, go. Go treat your ears with that and have an absolutely thrilling time. Um, Richard, thank you so much for speaking to us today. I really appreciate it and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you for having me. I mean, where do we start, Mark? What a legend. What an absolute legend. I mean, there's so many things he's been in as well. People, I mean, his firstly, just hearing his voice, you think, yeah, yeah. audiobook narration. Like, if he didn't, <laughs> if he wasn't an actor, he'd have a life, he'd be back to back audiobook narration, possibly late night DJ, uh, all kinds of things. But let's dive in and talk about this idea of first thing in the morning and late at night, because I really jumped on that. This idea that when, this idea that Richard talked about, that when, 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 your brain isn't kind of frazzled or it isn't distracted. Yes, the, the phrase know, he uses, it's less infected by the day. And I, I totally relate to that because yes. first thing in the morning, I, I'm, I'm a first thing in the morning writer and I will, you know, I, I, I turn off notifications, shut the door, the whole thing, you know. And when, when I was commuting, I'd put the headphones on. I'd, I'd try and block off the world try not to be infected by the day <laughs> such a great phrase because it, it will creep in and if you if you give it an inch it'll take a mile you know i've had there have been days when i've forgotten to turn off notifications on my phone and go ping and i go oh what's that and then 10 minutes later i look up and i've lost my flow i've lost my rhythm you know so uh yeah it's i think it is really really important and if you're one of those people at the end of the day maybe when you're you're putting the day behind you you're you're, you're you know you're it's setting the sun and you can concentrate on your writing that way, then then if that works for you, that's great. But yeah, that's it's so important because now you're gonna you're gonna laugh. Okay. Um, I've been reading a book about the Beatles, and they were going on about meditation, right? Uh. And I'm I'm reading it, I'm thinking, I might have to give this a go, you know. It's to stay. All right, we officially the oh. the bestseller experiment has officially <laughs> ended. Uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> Words I never thought I would hear on this podcast. <laughs> I haven't done Words it yet. I, was, I haven't done it yet. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, I'm, I'm done. I can die a happy man. Mark. I can. I'm, I'm. I'm getting my knapsack, and I'm off now to my next mission. No, I think. I think this is. <laughs> this is brilliant. I tell you what else Go converted on. me. I spoke. We spoke to. I spoke to an author yesterday called Amita Parikh, who's coming in a future episode. And she, you're going to love this one. She's sporty, and she talks about how sport is great training for being a writer. And she meditates. You, you are. You are going to be in okay, love this moment. Sounds so like we, my jam. we don't end the podcast now. We're going. But uh, but yeah, I, oh. I'm thinking because I'm getting so, especially after this weekend with the film coming out. 
and oh. getting bombarded by completely i mean distraction yeah. central yeah. bing 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 it was so hard to write anything more than 200 words you look at you look at my word count for that weekend and it was a poor i did write every day but one of them was like one day i wrote 204 words and thought that's it i've done it i'm out yeah but the fact you know? that you did that mark the fact you even in amongst in amongst the maelstrom right 204 words yeah. that's the whole yeah. point of it i think that's yeah. absolutely brilliant yeah. but it's it's this this i think this is a really important thing that you're picking up on because i mean just going back to what richard said the way that i think of it is when we're writing and there's tons of distractions and there's a lot in our mind like the real estate in our head if you like is completely full and jumbled it's a bit like being tuned into a radio station but not quite you know, when you can kind of just about hear that there's a bit of music, but you can't quite work out. And so there's a lot of static and interference. Mm-hmm. And so I think what Richard's talking about is that it's actually tying it right into 95.8. So you, you, you get that clarity <laughs> come through. And, and, I th- and I do believe that um, any kind of mind exercise, whether we call it meditation or whether we call it relaxation or whatever, you know, because mm-hmm. Richard talked about when the brain is more relaxed, I mean, that's what meditation does for us is it kind of gets us in and, and is scientifically proven to help us focus. I mean, that's one of the, you meditate in the morning and, and your day is different. Your day is absolutely different. And also all the crap that comes flying, I don't know about, I mean, maybe other people can acknowledge, but give you a little preview, Mark, as to what might happen. All the crap that comes flying at you during the day, when you've meditated, it's like your tea fell. It's just like bounces off and you're like, oh, whatever. <laughs> and it just, you it, and and then you can keep the focus. That's yeah, well, that, engage with it. That's the thing. Having having again, we'll talk about the, the film later. But just having that, you you get a glimpse of what it might like to be famous. And someone like Richard Armitage, you know, is in you know being in a show like Spooks or The Hobbit or what have you. That that if you wallow in you know if you allow yourself to to wallow in that kind of adoration, it can be very very distracting. Mm. And it's like someone tapping on the shoulder every couple of minutes. And you kind of think, no, I've got put, I've got to put all that, that aside. Way. And whatever yeah. it is, you know, it's in your life. There, everyone has distractions. Everyone has things they need to put aside. So you need to find find a way to do it. And um, yeah, I mean, actors as well. They're taught, you know, Alexander technique. All of yes. these techniques to center oh, yeah. and and become still. Especially if you're a film actor, stillness is a real skill. Oh, you know yeah. that that from you know just uh, posture, stillness, breathing. Actors learn all of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife did it when she was at drama school. George is learning this stuff now. Uh, my son he's studying acting at Chichester. Um, so yeah, it's all you're, you're learning how to you know just focus in on yourself. Yeah, I've got a technique that I've developed over many years of actually weird enough it came out of um, doing group coaching and I was getting people showing up at. Four o'clock in the morning in Australia, people in the UK rushing on the underground to get to the eight o'clock session, and then right. people somewhere in the middle, you know, having lunch. And I had to ground everyone together because everyone was like in a different headspace. And so I developed this breathing technique, um, which I'm I'll 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 actually introduce it because we'll try it out because it's a very it's a it's what it is is it's basically a technique for people that have tried meditation, it doesn't work for them or they don't have time to meditate. So it's um and it it's it's very easily adapted to writing as well so offline we'll maybe do a little bit of i'll give you i'll give you the kind of process that you go through it's very very simple and um but i think mark we should do go on listeners if if next week i'm talking like a robot you'll know that he's got to me (laughs) (laughs) kind of like it's my evil laugh (laughs) but i actually think this is a really interesting I think a lot of writers don't talk about it, but I know a lot of writers do use techniques such as meditation to get into the right headspace to write. The minute we open this door, honestly, the amount of people that will start, I mean, we're going to get a ton of people who are going to just respond to just this conversation now going, yeah, I meditate every day. And it's really well, there, I mean, I know writers too. I mean, there's a writer I know called Mark Chadbourne who swears by it, you know, right. and um, he's very successful. He's the yeah. guy who's now um, basically writing Wilbur Smith's books, you know, oh, uh, wow. so, and it, yeah. Uh, it's um uh, i'm just finding that it's especially in this multimedia world where we're bombarded with stuff from left right and center i mm-hmm. think there's a lot to be said for taking a moment just, yeah it's like having a tool having a tool yeah. having a technique we're going to do a we're going to do a whole episode on this mark because it's a biggie Uh-oh. 
but down the road, <laughs> down the road. But um, if you've, so maybe we'll just put it out there, if you've got any experiences yourself in, you know, maybe you were struggling, you tried meditation and it's really helped or a form of that, we want to hear from you because that'd be really interesting to kind of explore this because it is a very important thing that a lot of people don't discuss. Um, so yeah, I'll be interested to see where this goes, Mr. Stay. I'm glad that you're you're open to trying it out. I think that's that's actually the most important thing. Most people, they, they poo-poo stuff like this and they just think, oh, it's a bit weird and it's a bit like new agey, but it isn't. It's like, it's becoming scientifically mainstream now. I mean, do, your doctor basically prescribes it instead of taking, you know, antidepressants for many people now. Initially, it's a first, you know, it's very, very mainstream. And I think it's time to to explore it in more detail for writers. I think it'd be a really valuable discussion. We'll see. Watch this space. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, let's talk a little bit about this idea of treatments and this yes. idea of detailed, I mean, he said detailed outlines and I was desperate well, the, for you to ask. How many words was your outline, I'd, Richard? <laughs> I, would, I didn't want to dare. No, I didn't dare ask. I mean, to be up. honest, it's, um, that came up at the Benaronovich event as well. Oh, of course, so it will haunt, forever, haunt me Mark, to my dying it day. It will haunt you to your dying day. It'll be on your epitaph. <laughs> How many words? That'll be your epitaph. <laughs> but he's uh, he's taking, uh, Richard is taking that, that film and TV approach to it. Th that is pretty much how you pitch something for TV. You might put together a treatment and a detailed outline. Uh, and what I thought was interesting was that he referred to call sheets for a shoot. Uh, for TV and film. Now, what happens with, with a call sheet? You get, uh, you might be doing, you know, five or six setups during a day. Maybe more, maybe less, depending on on who, you, you know, what what those what scenes you're doing. So, it will say. Let's see if I can dig out some from Unwelcome. Actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to share them. But you would get the call sheet every day. You say, right, here's who's coming on the set, and here are the scenes that we're shooting. And you get the slug line. So it'd be exterior house day whatever which doesn't really tell you much tells you the location what the lighting's going to be like but then you'd have x and y meet uh a and b and uh, there's an argument blah 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 so you 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 have that very pithy synopsis of the drama of that moment uh and i think from richard's point of view because he's someone who is juggling many projects as an actor uh, this is it's a very handy shorthand for him to get back into it. So if he's if he's off shooting a film or a TV show and he's got to come back to his novel, he's already got a lot of story being jumbling about in his head. So he, he needs to look at a page and go, right, what am I looking at now? Oh, we're doing that. Okay. Because the other thing as well, it's a very actor way of thinking. And again, we'll talk about this more in the extended version. But you know, you when you're an actor, when you shoot films and TV, film and TV, it's often shot out of sequence because you you can only you do everything at one location, then you move to another, and it's often you know non chronological. So you do a scene, and the first question you often ask is, okay, what came before and what came after? What's my in? What's my out? And what we what am I feeling now? What uh, I've just been told, you know, uh, that my brother has betrayed me and now I'm confronting him for the scene and the next scene, you know, I push him off a bridge or whatever. So you, it gives you a kind of an emotional context of, of what you're going to do in that moment. So it's interesting that that's the kind of methodical way that he approached storytelling. Uh, and I, I think, again, you know, if you're a writer listening to this and thinking that's that's an interesting way of approaching, that's how actors approach often particularly if they're working in film and tv that's how they approach each scene because it's all done in tiny little bits out mm. of sequence sometimes you know you, you you hear about um films where you know you have a two shot and there's an act actor a is talking to actor b and they may have been shot months apart because actor a wasn't available at the time but uh. they did those bits with with actor a while they had him and all the lights set up and actor b she came in and did the you know the cut the the, the cutaways so is it also um, i want to ask a question about this because I'm, i remember in in the movie unwelcome there are a number of different pub scenes of which a certain friend of mine appears in quite a lot actually. It's <laughs> absolutely marvelous <laughs> that guy Yes, um, I'll, have, I'll have you know the role of man in pub is completely essential to the plot. It is. There's one moment I thought you were going to jump in there and start beefing someone, but um, it was brilliant. But I, they were there were two particular, or three particular scenes I think that were kind of like chronologically split. But of course, mm -hmm. once you've got that pub 
set up and you've got the lighting set up and all the actors there I, i'm assuming that's why a lot of things are shot out of order because you just need to shoot all the pub scenes in one go is that typically how it works absolutely yeah we only had that pub for a couple of days okay i think yeah. i think it was all done in two days right uh, so yeah. it's almost out of necessity they have to do that absolutely from yeah, a budgeting yeah. perspective and, and Abs- yeah. logistics yeah. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i think it's an interesting thing for for writers to explore though because i think we can get a little bit well I think it obviously makes sense for us to write in a chronological order. It can be hard, hard writing chapter 18 after you've written chapter one. But for people that str- are struggling with their book and they've got to a point in it where they're stuck, I've heard this a lot of people have said, haven't they, in the podcast over the years, sometimes it just helps to, to get out of your own head space is to just jump ahead and just pick a scene. And it doesn't matter yep. if it doesn't work, but it just like allow yourself to just fast forward and go and write chapter 18 and then come back to chapter 12. It's a, it's a great solution. Yeah, mm. write, write the thing that you've been looking forward to, that big confrontation. Write the ending if you want, right? Yeah. Or maybe, maybe just focus on one character, you know, and, and follow yeah. them through this. And you've got and something then to focus towards then. You've got a stake in the, you've got a point in the in the ground. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Like and, doing but, the- but the other thing is very often by doing that, it might unlock something that gives you a solution to the thing that you were stuck on before. Do you, uh, so. do you want to hear a really, really dodgy analogy? Uh-oh. I Mowing lawns. <laughs> okay. Right? Have you yeah. ever tried to mow the lawn and you kind of look at the mower and you try to get a straight line? It doesn't work. You're all over the no. place. But if you yeah. pick a point, if you pick the point you're heading to and you just trust in it and you go, it's like you get a perfect straight line. And it's almost like if you can get that in your book, if you can get that point in the future and you just keep your eye on it, just head towards it, everything will be fine. You won't get it's wobbly. It's a good analogy. I like that. There you go. We'll bang yeah. that one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's now talk about this idea, Mark, of um, editors and directors. I love this insight that that Richard, who's obviously a great actor and he can kind of, he, he sees the world differently from an, a, a person who's just come directly into writing. But the way in which he compared an, an editor to a director, this idea he talked about being able to be molded as a writer and also the ability to allow yourself to be to yield to things. Yeah. That was a brilliant analogy because a lot of writers struggle with that. They don't realize that that's part of what the editor's job is, to be like the potter and shape and mold you into the writer you know you can become. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's, a, there's a slight difference, but it, it, when I'm writing scripts, particularly when I'm writing, uh, when I'm working with John, John Wright, who did Unwelcome, I've, I see myself very much as a service provider. He's the person who stands on set with the sides, which are the little bits of script that you have when you're shooting. And he has to make, he has to have complete mastery of it. He has to understand every word on that page. So if we're in the script edit stage and he's like, why is this character said this? Why, uh, why is this happening? What's this conflict about? I have to be able to answer that. I can't just go, well, because I think it's good and I think it should stay in because I'm a genius or whatever. <laughs> That's not good enough. You know, he needs to have complete understanding of it. And similarly, an editor is in many ways, I mean, I know we have alpha readers, beta readers and 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 what have you, but they are ultimately your first reader in a professional sense, I think. They're the one who, at a publisher or if you're self-publishing, they're often the last reader before it goes out to the real world. So they are the per- their quality control. They're saying, okay, you've got this thing here and it doesn't make sense or it's a bit extraneous or is it a bit self-indulgent. Uh, do you really need it? And so, yeah, it's, it's a similar thing where it's, it's someone just going, quality control, are you absolutely sure? Is this is this earning its keep? Is this a hill that you're willing to die on? Uh, and so it is a negotiation, as, as Richard said. And sometimes, yeah, you have to you have to yield. You have to go. Yeah, okay, you've got me. That's fine. That's one of my bad habits. I'll put that away and just put it in the next book. <laughs> yeah, and he also said as well this this challenge of personal things that you've put into your novel. The editor does not know mm-hmm. about. Um, and in some ways you need somebody to be emotionally detached from yes. your journey in the story, not emotionally detached from obviously the story and the characters. They have to be emotionally attached to that, but they need to not know what is personal because they will then be able to filter out what's of value in that, that you put in and what is just you kind of, you know, adding, you know, the opposite of what Stephen King, you know, adding your darlings in like keeping those things that are, <laughs> That, that are really important to you, but mean maybe don't add to the story or don't mean anything, and they don't 
have yes. that impact that they do in your own life. And, that's and the sometimes, sometimes those things can be really difficult to get rid of because often you'll find that they might be the thing that inspired you in the first place. There yeah. might be a line that you heard or a character that you love uh, who has helped you develop the story, but has uh, the, the project has overtaken them. Mm. Or they've outlived their usefulness, and now it's time for them to go. Yeah, and there's and a part of you that purpose. has, yeah, exactly. But yeah. you you still have that emotional link to it, and it's important to you. But the reader doesn't give two figs, and the reader will go, yeah. "What's this about? What's this thing?" Uh, yeah. So sometimes it, it has to go, and it's it's often the the toughest thing to let go of. Absolutely. So, folks, if you've enjoyed this little chat, we've got a lot more to talk about. If you want to join oh, us yeah. in the extended edition, we're going to talk about. Uh, the idea of writing a book audio first, the idea of like thinking about it as an audio book. We're going to talk about music and writing. Oh, <laughs> that's music to my ears. You know, the idea of Richard talked about some amazing things around, you know, drumming and, and, and pacing when you write. Uh, we're going to delve into the challenge of using different accents. Uh, I love the analogy of him talking about planting seeds as well, which, you know, as a, as a gardener myself, I... I just love. We're also going to talk a little bit about choosing emotion over plot, the idea about loose ends. We're mm. going to dive into the idea of something called method writing, which yeah. we're going to uh, dive into. And that, uh, that's <laughs> worth it alone. I think that's going to be a fascinating discussion. Um, and we're also going to talk about the idea of grief, which is very relevant today. An idea of grief when you finish a book is something that is very important to talk about and acknowledge. So if you would love to join us for another 20, 30 minutes of extended edition of this podcast, plus Mark chatting about um, and my experiences in Leicester Square with the unwelcome, um, <laughs> pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, sign up as a patron or join the academy where you get all of the extended versions as part of the content there. So Mark, I'm guessing there might be a little bit of social media this week. There is a little bit of social media. There's some lovely, lovely news. So uh, Inkborn Blade uh, on Twitter yesterday marked 365 consecutive days, one year of my 200 words a day journey, 153,000 words written in that time. Not all are amazing. In fact, not many of them. Uh, go easy on yourself. Uh, but they're on the page and they can only be improved. Only got the best sell experiment to thank for putting me on the path. Well, Inkborn Blade, who I've met a couple of times, uh, fantastic stuff. Huge wow. congratulations. Huge, huge congratulations on that. And uh, keep going, buddy. Keep going. That's um, 153,000 words. That's like the equivalent of two full novels in absolutely. one year. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant yeah. stuff. Or, or one Brandon Sanderson short story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the at the other end, and then we've got Sarah Zeman, who uh, is on Twitter's at Bardy Mum. She says, every time I listen to the podcast, and she's a Patreon supporter, she says, I get all inspired and then remember I'm a children's poet. And sometimes 200 words is more than an entire poem. Any chance of a poet's version where we can record fiddled about with line breaks all day, please? And I did say, I did say, you know, uh, we do have a kind of exchange rate for editing that she can probably apply. And what's that for poetry? So what is that? Twenty minutes working? Twenty minutes, yeah. Twenty minutes is two hundred words. Two hundred words. So yeah, that that's definitely. And Sarah says, I know it's a big dream for a children's poet to become a bestseller, but I replied to Sarah. I said, Now you know how Mr. D loves big dreams. So, you know, why not become a children's poet bestseller, Sarah? Why Love why it. the hell not? And if you'd like to join Sarah, just go to fiddleaboutwithlinebreaks.com where we have a new challenge for uh, <laughs> <laughs> children's poet authors. But no, seriously, Sarah, I think it's absolutely, I think it's, it's really interesting and it's very relevant, um, you know, and I think this idea of this exchange rate that we've created because it's about time. I mean, 200 words, absolutely, but it's ultimately about time of sitting down and doing the work each day that keeps everything connected. So you fiddle as much as you want because what will eventually come out of that um, will, will be a, a really, really, you know, beautiful, no doubt, children's poem. And uh, maybe you could send one in to us because it's a poem. Yeah. We, can, we can read it out on the show. So, there you go. There's your accountability. <laughs> send us one of your poems. 
<laughs> uh, great bit of news on the Academy from Karen Story. Uh, she said, last month I posted in WINS, and we have a whole WINS forum in the Academy where you can talk about your WINS, big or small. Uh, she said, I've been listed in two short story contests. I said in one of my posts, posts half-jokingly that I'd like an actual prize win soon. Well, guess what? Karen just had an actual prize win. My first ever, she says. My ridiculous tongue-in-cheek story that got listed a few weeks back in the Cranked Anvil competition took second prize today. My first writing payment. How shall I spend the £75? Well, first writing payment. That is always a complete joy. Huge Huge. congratulations, Karen. 75 quid. Ooh, what can you do with that? Oh, my gosh. The mind boggles, isn't it? That's a pint of of beer at Leicester Square, Mark. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? It really, yeah. really is, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, though. Congratulations. Karen's been knocking it out of the park, actually. We've been she really doing has. Doing coaching yeah. with Karen on the, on the Academy, and she she's one of these people who's just been entering tons of, writing tons of short stories and entering short stories competitions. And now, yeah. you know, it's proof in the pudding. You keep going, you keep pushing it out there. You might not win on the first one or get recognition, but you keep doing it. You get better and better Abs- at it, and absolutely. bingo. Absolutely. And last last but by no means least, um, Robin Sarty, one of the long, longest standing supporters of our podcast. Uh, she says, at the end of December, I submitted to a short story call. It was a long shot. I had no confidence in the story, but I needed to submit solely so I could feel the sense of accomplishing something. Well, I found out this past week that I got in and the project is going live via Kickstarter this Ooh. week and her story striker stand is in volume one. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to uh, Thrill Ride, the magazine, which is the Kickstarter. So if you want to support Robin with that and other writers like her, mm. uh, there's a link to Kickstarter where you can help them out. And uh, please do. Love it, love it, love it. Well, listen, folks, thank you so much for journeying with us today. Thank you to Richard for such an amazing interview. What a treat and a privilege oh, to have him on the show. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, for all the insights as well, and for everything, you know, sharing your stories with us, your wins, congratulations to to everyone out there who's had something good happen in their life this week. That, folks, is what it's all about. It's those beautiful little moments in our life that, uh, you know, if you get enough of them over your lifetime, uh, it re- really does result in a life well lived. So keep it up, folks. Keep on pushing. Keep on living the dream, as it were. And uh, until next week, Mr. Stay, thank you so much for joining in on all of the insanity that was today's show. We, for anyone who hasn't known, but we've just recorded, by the way. If you've if you've not if you've not listened to the extended, if you if you, how long are we recording for? I'm looking at. This I've has got, got to hour, be. The, I've got an hour twenty here. An so hour twenty hard. plus the interview. <laughs> the interview We're almost yeah. up to two hours. This officially. Plus a break for continuity plus, errors. Plus a break for continuity. <laughs> yeah, you've got to, honestly, you've got to subscribe to, to the extended version and watch the video and see if you spot the continuity error that happens. <laughs> it's genius. Thank you to our editors, JD, JD yes. and David. Dave, Dave yeah. for doing all of the magic behind the scenes, um, including the bit in Richard's interview, which you won't talk about. That was fantastic as well. Absolutely. Yes. It's all over the shop today. But this has been the longest ever episode. So if you really if you want to be, be a part yeah. of history... Go subscribe. And actually, folks, you know, in all seriousness, everyone who subscribes, we're so grateful for the four people that joined Patreon this week. Everyone that subscribes enables us to do stuff like this, get these extended episodes for me and Mark to sit for two hours when we should actually be doing proper work, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so please do subscribe. Listen to the extended. It's an absolute blast. And there's a ton of stuff. I mean, I, I can't even list it all. But, uh, and to do that, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Sign up to one of the tiers and listen to everything else that we offer beyond just today's extended as well. So, Mr. Stay, and if you want to drop us a line, if you want to drop us a line, uh, yes, you can see you're at practice. (laughs) I'm totally at practice. (laughs) If you want to drop us a line, we're at bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a uh, contact tab there, or uh, Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment, and Twitter and Instagram, we're at bestsellerxp. If you've got a question, want to tell us your wins, tell us some good news, drop us a line there. We will share it with the world. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today, folks. And we look forward to bringing you more bestseller experiment madness next Monday. All the best. And it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. <laughs> goodbye. goodbye.